Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I'm here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, and AEW Rampage. There will be no Impact Wrestling results this week because they are doing a spoof of 80s wrestling, so I will not be covering that. Now, on with the show. Just want to let you guys know that for Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, this is basically... Their aftermath shows of WrestleMania and Stand and Deliver. Now, on to Monday Night Raw, the Raw after Mania. Raw opens up with a Cody Rhodes in-ring promo. Cody doesn't get Pyro this time, which shocks me because I thought that Kyle Cody would have got Pyro, but hey, he doesn't. We'll have to see what will happen, but he still does get the whole uh, popping from the ground, and he walks on a uh, long extended ramp to hit the stage, so he does have that. Um, Cody talks about how he's been away for 47 days since he's got out of his previous contract from his previous employer. He doesn't say AEW, and he mentions that he became a free agent 47 days ago. He mentions how the rumors were circulating, but he decided to remain quiet all throughout that time. And he talks about how his decision to come back to WWE wasn't a hard one. It was quite easy. Cody then goes on to say that if there was any doubt at all, that all went away when he stepped on the WrestleMania stage and 70-something thousand fans cheered for him and erupted when Cody stepped out on that stage. Cody would then flash a photo of his father in Madison Square Garden on September 26, 1977, holding the WWF Championship, and that's whenever he went against superstar Billy Graham at the time, and Cody talks about a story about when he was a child and he saw this photo in his mother and father's uh, bedroom on their mantle. And that photo would stay there until the day that his father passed. And he talked about whenever he was eight, he mentioned and he saw that photo and he asked his father, I didn't know you were champion like Hulk Hogan. And Dusty had to tell Cody that he didn't win the championship because he got counted out. Well, the super, the champion got counted out in the champion advantage. So Cody ultimately uh, brings that around and talks about how he comes back to WWE because he wants to fulfill something that his father didn't do, something that the Rhodes family has always not been able to accomplish, and that's basically become the world champion. He talked about how he wanted, at one point, the dream was to win the WWE Championship and hand it to his father and tell him that they can't take this away from you now. But since that dream has went away, or has it, because now he's back in WWE, and now he can win the championship and do it not only for himself, but for the fans and his family. And that's basically the reason why Cody's here. He's basically back in WWE for unfinished business to become the WWE Champion. Seth Rollins' music would hit, and he comes out, and he's not looking angry, he's not looking upset, he's out looking like regular Seth Rollins, but just in a pink, sparkly, like, suit. He comes out, dancing all boisterous, he gets in the ring, he just dances and saunters around Cody, and Cody would just stare at Seth, and then Seth would stop and just look at Cody dead in his face. And now you have a stare down between Cody and Seth, Cody would toss the mic over his shoulder and he would extend his hand out to Seth. Seth would look at Cody and then as the fans would chant, shake his hand, Seth would eventually shake Cody's hand and just tell him, welcome home. 
And then you hear Cody's music hit, and then you see Seth walk out of the ring. But Seth walks out of the ring like with a laugh, because now it seems to me that Seth's going to like be the antithesis of Cody being back here in the WWE, and Cody even getting a whiff at the WWE Championship. So we'll have to see where this whole thing lies with Cody and Seth. After this, we have our first match of the night is Sasha Banks and Naomi going against Liv Morgan and Rhea Ripley. Naomi and Sasha Banks would win the match by pinfall when Naomi and Sasha would hit their tag finish and assisted Codebreaker on Liv Morgan for the win. After the match, Rhea would get in the ring and kind of check on Liv, but you could tell she's annoyed because she doesn't like losing. She's been losing now. She lost at Mania, so now this is her second night in a row losing. And once Liv would get up, she tried to tap Rhea on the shoulder, but Rhea just walked away from her and then out of the ring into the back. And as Rhea was walking up the ramp, you hear Kevin Owens' music hit, and here comes Kevin Owens come walking down to the ring, and now it's time for a Kevin Owens promo. But before I get to the Kevin Owens promo, we do find out that later in the night, uh, Liv Morgan would catch up with Rhea Ripley, and Rhea would tell Liv that they got a tag title match next week against Naomi and Sasha. She went to talk to Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville, and this is kind of her way to make up for Liv for acting like a jerk after the match. I just want to let everybody know we're going to get a, a Rhea's going to backstab Liv next week if they don't win. Rhea is up to the point that she's tired of always losing and just being the happy-go-lucky chick. I guarantee you, if they don't win the titles next week, she's beating up on Liv Morgan. Anyway, now to the Kevin Owens promo. Kevin Owens comes out and he would admit that he made a mistake in telling Austin his plan at Mania uh, by suckering him in to challenge him to a match, a no holds bar match at Mania, and Austin would beat him. Kevin Owens would make an excuse to say that his back was hurting, that he had a bad back, and that's the reason that he lost. He ends up blaming the WWE fans because he didn't want to disappoint them and let them down by not showing up at Mania. He could have just went home because he had a bad back. He could have just not show up, but he put on a show for the fans, and he blames them for basically him losing, and him having a bad back. Kevin Owens would say that the loss should be stricken from the record books. And as soon as he says this, we hear some funny music uh, in the arena. And then it would flash over to the Titan. It would say Ezekiel. Now, I thought this was Ezekiel Jackson. Uh, this was a black dude back in like 2010s. But no, it wasn't Ezekiel Jackson. This is Elias coming out in a new character, Ezekiel. You see a fresh shaven. He doesn't have a beard. He comes out with, like, regular wrestling gear. He doesn't wear the jeans, the t-shirt, the bandanas. and everything. No, he comes out in regular wrestling gear. He saunters down to the ring. Kevin Owens would look at him, and he would say, Elias, where have you been, and why are you out here interrupting me? Elias, oh, I'm sorry. Ezekiel would say that he isn't Elias, but he is Elias' younger brother. Kevin Owens and the fans are, and everybody at home, including myself, is like saying, are you serious? Kevin Owens would tell him to stop lying because he hates liars. Ezekiel said, would say to him, you must hate yourself because you end up lying to Stone Cold and you got stunned for it. Kevin Owens would tell him, you got 10 seconds to leave this ring or something is going to happen. Kevin Owens would then proceed with his countdown. Ezekiel stands there and once the countdown was over. Kevin Owens would just simply walk out of the ring. So this tells you that Kevin Owens is going to be having a 
feud or mini feud with Ezekiel. Still a weird tone to it, but we'll see how this uh, goes. After this, we have Dominic Mysterio with Rey Mysterio in his corner going against The Miz. The Miz would win the match by pinfall in quick fashion when he hits the squirrel crushing finale on Dominic for the win. After the match, the long-awaited arrival of Veer would happen because Veer would walk out to the stage. Miz would see this. He leaves the ring, and Veer attacks both Dominic and Rey Mysterio. Veer will lock Dominic into a submission called the clavicle clutch is basically a camel clutch but he's like twisting uh dominic's arm and head and chest and he will crank on the neck of dominic and his face would turn red and ray would have to like crawl over to like tap veer on the leg to let him go and referees would come out to like yank veer off of dominic which he does and it was announced that next week on raw it will be Rey mysterio going against veer after this it was time for a bianca belair in-ring promo Bianca Belair will come out, and she has sunglasses on. She thanks the fans for believing in her, knowing that she would win the Raw Women's Championship at WrestleMania. Bianca then will take the sunglasses off, exposing her left eye being blacked and blue. If you guys didn't watch Mania, her eyes is black and blue because of a kick to the face that uh, Becky Lynch did inadvertently because she was trying to go for the molly go round on the uh, top rope. But in the process, she ends up kicking Bianca in the face and it left her with a big old knot on her eye. So that's what is sh- uh, Bianca is showing to everybody. Bianca would thank Becky for throwing everything at her at Mania, and she overcame that. She mentioned how Becky tried to take everything away from her, her hair, her throat, and at Mania, her eye. Bianca would then mention that the fans deserve a better champion and that she's going to be the best champion that she can be. She's going to take on all comers. and basically. The champion like route. This is basically the champion champion like promo. Whenever you win a championship, you're gonna be the best champion, the fighting champion. You're gonna take on all comers. And with Bianca, it works because everybody likes Bianca Belair. After this, we have an NXT championship matchup between Braun Breaker and Dolph Ziggler. This is another rematch from uh Stand and Deliver. And Braun Breaker would win the match by pinfall when Dolph was looking to hit the super kick. But Braun speared him and then followed it up with the Gorilla Press Slam for the win. Solid match. I'm just surprised that they didn't pull this off at Stand and Deliver. They wanted to give it the night after Mania. Well, that's cool and all, but I would have liked it at Stand and Deliver, where it was supposed to happen. But again, I'm not hosting nor producing the show. After this, it's time for MVP. MVP's in the ring, and he would introduced the almighty Bobby Lashley, but as he's doing this, he said, here's the man that took down the mighty Goliath, and he didn't even need me to be there, and he calls out Bobby Lashley. Lashley comes out, he talks about how at Mania, Omos is the strongest man he's ever been in the ring with, but he knew that if Omos made a mistake, it was going to be one, two, three, and that's what happened. He capitalized on Omos's mistake. Omos' music would hit, and Omos would walk towards the ring. Once Omos got in the ring, he announced that he wanted a rematch. And you see Omos take off his jacket. You see Lashley and Omos have a stare down with each other. And then out of nowhere, you will see MVP from behind attack Lashley with the microphone. MVP would constantly say to Lashley as he's beating him up, you didn't need me. So this tells you that MVP was really, really upset not to be at Mania on the side of Lashley. So this tells you why MVP turned on Lashley at this moment. Omos would help attacking Lashley in the process, and in the end, you would see MVP hit Lashley with a big boot to the face, and then Omos would hit his double-handed choke slam, 
And then you'll see MVP and Omos shake hands. So now you see Omos and MVP as a new force. I'm cool with this because, again, Omos is still needing some experience. He needs a mouthpiece. He doesn't talk that well on the mic. And MVP can do that. He can do exactly the same thing he did with Lashley, but you can transfer it over to Omos, and it's a great fit. After this, we were supposed to get the matchup of Natalia and Shayna Baszler going against Queen Selena and Carmella. But that match doesn't happen But because before Natalia and Shayna could even come out, Selena would get the microphone and tell Carmella that she's the reason they aren't the tag champions. She tells Carmella that she has been invested so much in herself and her stupid wedding that she couldn't focus at Mania. Carmella would take the mic and tell Selena that she wanted Selena to be one of her bridesmaids at her wedding, but now she could be a flower girl and pokes Selena in her head. Selena wouldn't take that uh, insult easy because she would attack Carmella and Carmella would run out of the ring, go up to her fiance Corey Graves and tell him to hide her. Selena would end up pulling Carmella off of Corey and start attacking her some more until she was done. And once that got done happening, you would see Selena start walking away. Corey would help Carmella off the floor, put her on her his uh, chair. Corey would talk to her, and then they would start making out. So, I mean, I mean, this was just a cool-down period I can assess out of this. But, all right, cool. After this, we had a six-man tag match. RK-Bro and Finn Balor going against the Usos and Austin Theory. Theory would pick up the win for his team by pinfall when Theory would hit Finn Balor with the A-Town down for the win. So, this tells you that Austin Theory is next in line for the United States Championship, and you can tell that's exactly where they're trying to place Austin Theory now with Finn. After this, now it's time for Edge to come out and have his promo segment. Edge mentions that he did say that AJ would meet his judgment day at WrestleMania, but he didn't expect Damian Priest to be out there. Edge would say that if you think about it, it isn't hard to understand why he came out there. Edge says, like himself, Damian tried to be a role model for you sheep and repress his true self, but now Damian will be the punishment for everybody and Edge would call out Damian Priest. Priest would come out to the ring, shake Edge's hands. Edge would ask him what about his message got to him. Priest would say that Edge has always been one of those guys that he looked up to, and that just like Edge, he used to care about what these people think, but now he has taken back the power and control back into his hands, and he ends up pledging his allegiance to Edge. Edge would then switch up his focus to talking about AJ Styles. Edge mentions how he wanted the pit bull from AJ Styles, and he got that. But the one thing that AJ needs to understand about pit bulls is that they lack intellect. And Edge knows AJ is going to be coming after him. And he tells AJ that he needs to think about his family. He needs to think about his wife and think about his children. AJ will come out to the ring. He will be met by Priest at the ramp, but AJ would take care of Priest by throwing him over the barricade. And once he got done taking care of Priest, AJ would then get in the ring and then meet Edge there and mount on top of Edge and start punching him. AJ would then get Edge and throw him into the ring post two times before going outside of the ring and grabbing two steel chairs. Edge would be in the ring and AJ would put Edge's head on one of the chairs and he ends up grabbing the other chair, and before he can even hit the concerto, Damian Priest would run into the ring and attack AJ. Priest would have AJ in the corner and start punching him and punching him and punching him until Edge would shout over to Priest. 
and Priest would end up holding AJ in the middle of the ring as Edge and Damian Priest hit a spear slash leg sweep on AJ. Edge would then lay AJ's head on the chair, hand another chair over to Priest so he could do a concerto, but before he could do that, you would see referees and backstage officials come running out to the ring before any more damage could be done, and you would see Damian Priest and Edge leave out of the ring. And it was announced that AJ will be going against Damian Priest next week on Monday Night Raw. I'm going to say this right now, that Edge and Damian Priest, like, formation is a good thing, but that spear and leg squeak combination, that ain't going to work. They got to figure out something else. I understand this is probably a spare-in-a-moment thing, but they got to figure out another move for them to use. After this, we will have the Street Profits going against Alpha Academy in a Texas Tornado matchup. The Street Profits will win that match by pinfall when Montez Ford would hit a frog splash on Chad Gable through a table for the win. Now it's time for the main event segment of the night of Monday Night Raw. It is the bloodline with Paul Heyman making their way to the ring so Roman could address his WWE universe, his island, if you will. Roman would grab a mic, and before he even goes into his whole thing, he says, I know what you guys want, but before we do that, I'm going to switch it up. And he tells Paul Heyman to read off the list of accolades of the bloodline. The single longest reigning tag team champions in the history of SmackDown, the Usos. The largest box office receipts in the history of SummerSlam. Who was in the main event? Roman Reigns. The largest box office receipts in the history of Survivor Series. Who was in the main event? Roman Reigns. The first billion dollar grossing year in the history of sports entertainment. Who was on top as the main star all 365 days of that year? Roman Reigns. The single biggest, largest grossing box office in the history of the Royal Rumble. Who was on top? Roman Reigns. The largest crowds in the history of WrestleMania weekend. 58% increase on Peacock from last year. And the largest grossing commerce facilitator in the history of WrestleMania. Who was on top? Roman Reigns. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you your tribal chief, the head of the table, the single biggest star in sports entertainment, undisputed, Roman Reigns. As you just heard Paul list off all those accolades for Roman Reigns, let me just say this right now, WWE really put a lot of backing into Roman which is greatly needed because Roman has done everything the company's ever asked him to do whenever he gave up the opportunity. I'm not going to say gave up. He was given that crummy, like, good guy, like, continue going along with the big dog situation, which we all knew wasn't working. And Roman even said on the WWE evil on the Peacock thing, he even, like, had some glimpse like, yo, this thing ain't working. But he continued to go along with the path. And once this whole COVID thing happened in 2020, he came back and he took the control into his hands. And he's been doing this whole uh, tribal chief thing. 
WWE had no other choice because the fans were rocking with it, and this is what we always been wanting. So, one, I want to say thank you to Roman for doing that, and two, thank you for WWE for doing that because guess what? When you do something that we like and you actually follow on as hard as you guys have been doing with the Roman Reigns Tribal Chief thing, this is the type of stuff that you ended up with. Big box office attractions, Roman Reigns for some for uh, some SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, uh, the billion-dollar grossing year. I guarantee you that whole lot of that came from his T-shirts, a lot of them, probably, and just a whole lot of other things. But again, this will happen when you rock with what the fans want, and especially you go hard and heavy with something that's working, especially the Roman Reigns character. But anyway, back to uh, Roman and Paul. Roman would then take the mic away from Paul Heyman, and Roman talks about how he is the true last needle mover, and that's because he's operating on God mode. And he talks about how he is a man of his word because he said that he would smash Brock at Mania and become the unified universal world champion, and that's what he did. And he says that most men would hang their caps on that, but not him because he's never content, and he's constantly progressing. And he will let the rest of the world know what his plans are when he gets to SmackDown. But until then, Dallas, Texas, acknowledge me. And that's how Raw after Mania ends. Now off to NXT. NXT opens up with a in-ring promo from the new NXT champion, Braun Breaker. Braun will talk about his weekend. He talked about how he inducted the Steiner brothers, his father and uncle, into the Hall of Fame. He talks about losing a stand and deliver. And then attending WrestleMania, seeing Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch, Kevin Owens, a Stone Cold Steve Austin. And on that day, Braun had two things that went to his mind. One, one day he's going to main event WrestleMania. And two, that he wasn't going to leave Dallas without the NXT championship. So that's the reason why he went to Raw and challenged Dolph for the NXT title and beat him. And now he's a new NXT champion. Out walks Imperium, Gunther, Marcel Bartel, and Fabian Eigner. Marcel, Bartel, and Fabian Eigner are in the ring with Gunther as Gunther has the mic. Gunther tells Braun that nobody cares about your weekend and that he only cares about the championship that he has around his shoulder because having that championship means that you are the best. And you aren't the best until you beat the ring general, Gunther. Braun tells him he's a little banged up, but sure, you'll get your match tonight. So they have their stare down and Marcel... And Fabian are now on the outside of the ring standing there. And then out walks the Creed brothers. They get up to Marcel and Fabian. They start having a little throwing punches situation. They throw them inside the ring. Now Gunther and Braun are now out of the ring. And now you get the Creed brothers going against Imperium. And now it gets turned into a tag match. So we now have the Creed brothers going against Imperium. The Creed brothers would win the match by pinfall. When late in the match, Fabian would leave Marcel in the ring by himself with the Kree brothers, and the Kree brothers were able to hit their tag move, a power bomb turned into a torture rack slam. Then Julius would hit his uh, clothesline on Marcel for the win. After the match, the Kree brothers would be standing in the ring with their hands raised in the air. Then two mysterious men, all in black, would come into the ring, hit them in the back with steel chairs. Now, they will unmask themselves, and it's the former NXT UK tag champions pretty deadly. Now, I have been watching, I have not been watching NXT UK in a long time. Uh, so, pretty deadly is pretty new to me. I'll look them up a little bit more and I'll hopefully have more uh, knowledge about them next week. Anyway, after this, 
Cameron Grimes uh, in-ring promo. Cameron Grimes is out here as the new NXT North American champion. Cameron talks about making good on his promise to his dad to become a champion and how his father is looking down on him, smiling. Cameron will talk about how his father gave his blood, sweat, and tears to this business and how he raised Cameron up as a single parent. Cameron would then mention that he busted his butt for three years in WWE to prove that he was worthy of being a champion. And now that he is, he isn't going to be a complacent champion. He's going to go against the best that they got. So he talks about taking the championship to the moon multiple times. Then Solo Sokoa will come out. Solo will congratulate Cameron for being a champion and keeping his promise to his dad. And now he will tell Cameron the hard part begins because now keeping that championship is the hard part. Solo would then mention that he wants a shot at the North American Championship because championship blood runs all through his bloodline. That is a little uh, head nod to the wrestling fans that, hey, if you pay attention, Solo Sokoa is the Usos' brother and also the cousin of Roman Reigns, the current undisputed Universal Champion, and also the tag champions for SmackDown. Cameron would tell Solo that he respects him because he sees a man that has fought every day to be in this moment. Then Cameron would stick his hand out and shake solo's hand and now they have a match for next week for the north american championship after this we have dexter loomis with indy hartwell in his corner going against duke hudson who has persia parada in his corner the match went in the count out when both dexter and duke were on the outside of the ring and duke had dexter's arms in the middle of a ring post as he tries to throw dexter into the ring post but indy would grab dexter's pants to make sure he wouldn't be pulled anywhere and then you would see persia seeing Indy do this she would grab Duke's tights to help him with the momentum so now we have a back and forth situation and as this is going on the referee was counting both men out he starts counting and in the end both ladies will lose their grip on their man's well tights and or pants and then fall to the ground and both of the men will hit the ring post at the exact same time once that happened both men are now laid out on the ground the referee is now at the count of eight and the ladies try to get their men back into the ring but to no avail as the ref hit the 10 count and the match ends in a ring out. Now, next match, NXT Women's Tag Team Championship matchup. It is Gigi Dolan and JC Jane of Toxic Attraction going against the champions, Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. This is a rematch from Stand and Deliver, their kickoff show. Gigi and JC would win this match by pinfall when Gigi and JC were in control of the match. Wendy Chu would try to come out and distract uh, them the exact same way she did at Stand and Deliver, but instead... This time, Mandy Rose would attack Wendy from behind. Raquel would have Gigi up in the Chicona bomb, but as she has Gigi in the air, Mandy would get on the ring apron to distract the referee. This allowed JC to chop block Raquel, and then this would allow Gigi and JC to hit the toxic shock on Raquel to win the match. It was later announced that next week on NXT, it will be Mandy Rose going against Dakota Kai for the NXT Women's Championship. Then we will have our Made Man segment for Tony D'Angelo, which was hosted by AJ Galanti. This segment was like taken out of a mafia movie and like the movies and like the series like The Sopranos. You know how somebody becomes a made man. They have the ceremony. The only thing they didn't do in this thing is like cut your finger or something. They like implied it already like on the paper that you have your blood on this paper. You swear to keep the oath. And if you don't, you're made your soul burn in hell, whatever. AJ ends up giving Tony his made man ring. Now Tony's supposed to be the Don of NXT. Let's see how far this takes it because later in the program, you will see AJ and Tony D'Angelo on the outside of 
the NXT building, and you see Legato Del Fantasma run up on him, and Santos will congratulate Tony for becoming a made man and tell him that, hey, I know what it's like to become the boss, but let me give you a little piece of advice. You keep your business out of Legato's business, and everything will be fine. So it seems to me that Legato and Tony D'Angelo is going to be on a it's going to be on the collision path for them to go against each other. I didn't have that on my card, but I'm not mad at it. But we shall see what happens later. After this, we get the match of Nikita Lions going against Lash Legend. Nikita would win the match by pinfall when she hits Lash with the spinning kick to the head and then the jumping split on Lash for the win. So hopefully this will dead this rivalry between the two ladies. And then after this, it's time for the main event of NXT, the NXT Championship matchup between Braun Breaker and Gunther. Braun will win the match by pinfall when he was able to hit Gunther with the Gorilla Press Power Slam for the win. Braun took everything that Gunther could throw at him in this matchup. He took the sleeper hold. He took all the chops. He took a powerbomb and even a big body splash from the top. That wouldn't put Braun away at all. So, Congratulations to Braun. He had a nice, strong, well, week. Saturday, losing to Dolph. Monday, winning the title from Dolph on Monday Night Raw, the night after WrestleMania. And then the following night, going to Florida, defending against Gunther. So, like I said, he had a nice little week. Um, after this, you will see Braun turn to look at the Titan Tron because he heard someone says his name, and he sees that it's his father, Rick Steiner. He's, Rick tells his son that he's proud of him. And then you will see a look of worry on Rick's face because... As the camera zooms out, you see Rick's tied to a chair, and he's inside of a shark cage. And on the outside of the shark cage is Joe Gacy and Harlan, and they have Rick Steiner captured. So it looks like we have our next challenger for Braun Breaker in his NXT Championship reign. It's going to be Joe Gacy. Little side note before I go to AEW Dynamite, we were supposed to have three championship matches next week. It was supposed to be... Dakota Kai and Mandy Rose for the Women's Championship, which is happening. And Solo Sokoa going against Cameron Grimes for the North American Championship next week, which is still happening. The match that we were supposed to get next week is supposed to be MSK going against Grayson Waller and Sangha for the NXT Tag Team titles. The reason why I say it was supposed to is because it was reported by Fightful Select that Nash Carter has been released from the WWE following allegations from his wife, but now his about to be ex-wife because I believe they've been leading up to divorce. This is coming from Wesley's like um, wife and Nash Carter's soon to be ex-wife wrestler herself. Kimberly put out photos of her with bruised up face. Uh, I believe it's two, it's two photos of her with bruised face and then, uh, it's implying that he basically abused her. She wrote some stuff on it. I didn't really read much into it because I thought like, yo, this is not supposed to be on the internet. I think you're supposed to take this up with the authorities and all this type of stuff. But WWE released him. So now it seems to me that the only person of MSK is in WWE is Wesley. I don't know how we're going to fix this. I don't know how WWE is going to fix this personally because this is a bad look. I know releasing Nash is just like a putting a Band-Aid on it, but... I don't know. Wesley's wife is fighting for Nash Carter because she knows what's going on because Nash apparently has been living with Wesley and his wife at home as him and uh, Kimberly have been going through their little debacle. And 
I don't know what was going on. I'm not going to read much into it. I'm going to let everything happen in this place. I'm going to let the people do what they got to do. I'm going to look at it from time to time, and hopefully by next week, there comes up with more news for it. But as of right now, Nash Carter is no longer with WWE, and it looks like Wesley's the only person. So more or less, those NXT tag titles will be vacated next week, and I don't know how they're going to um, salvage that. Now on to AEW Dynamite. In the program, it was announced that at Battle of the Belts, it will be Thunder Rosa going against Nyla Rose. And the first match of the night, it was Adam Cole going against Christian Cage. Adam would win the match by pinfall when Cole would hit Christian with the boom for the win. After the match, Red Dragon will come running down to the ring to attack Christian. And as this happens, you will see Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus come down to make the save. You would then see Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy fight Red Dragon up the stage and Christian will follow along behind them. So this is now leaving Adam Cole in the ring by himself and out comes Hangman Page. Cole will get a microphone and tell him that he isn't going to fight Hangman unless the AEW Championship is on the line. Hangman will get the mic from Cole and tell him that next week on Rampage, he will be him versus Adam Cole for the AEW World Championship matchup and a Texas death match. Also, later in the night, you will see Jungle Boy lay out a challenge for next week on Dynamite. It will be Red Dragon going against Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus for the AEW World Tag Team titles. After this, we will now get the male Owen Hart Foundation qualifying matchup. It is Samoa Joe going against Max Caster, who has Anthony Bones in his corner. Samoa Joe would win the match by pinfall when he hits the muscle buster on Max Caster for the win. See, I find this funny. Not funny like hilarious, but like funny as in is intriguing because Max Caster always does his raps before the beginning of the match. He does his raps. He does to every opponent that he has it with. And in the raps, he was making fun of Samoa Joe being an exhibition guy, being injury prone, and also uh, being the former company's champion whenever they were losing in the rating war against AEW Dynamite. And Samoa Joe just, like, gave a little head nod, head nod, like, mm, okay. And whenever uh, Anthony Bowens got the microphone and Caster and him would usually do their little finger taunt whole stuff, they Max Caster would always turn his back on his opponents. This time he didn't. He always kept, he, like, kept his head turned towards Samoa Joe as him and Bowens would do their whole little finger taunt. So this told you exactly how Caster felt about Samoa Joe. He felt that... Joe was a threat, in which Joe is a threat because he is a former TNA champion, a former NXT champion. He's a former X-Vision champion, former Ring of Honor champion. He has a whole list of accolades. He's went against the toughest competitors in the world, and Max knew he was going to get his butt kicked, so Samoa Joe let him get those wraps off. Anyway, after the match, you would see Sanjay Dutt and Jay Lethal appear on the Titantron. Jay Lethal would tell Joe that he isn't going to come out there because he respects Samoa Joe more than Joe respects him. Jay then mentions that he has a new lease on life and that he is going to say and do whatever he wants. Jay would also mention that he tried to get in contact with Samoa Joe four months ago, but Joe ghosted him because Jay Lethal was trying to get a outlook on life, trying to get some advice from his former mentor. But as Joe would ghost Jay Lethal for those four months, Jay would mention that the reason that he got ghosted was because he wasn't a billionaire. And that Samoa Joe only answers phone calls for billionaires. Jay would mention that next week he's going to give Samoa Joe a gift that he won't forget since he wasn't able to give Samoa Joe a gift at Ring of Honor Supercard of Honor. So we'll have to see. More or less, we're probably going to get another guy coming into 
AEW or something like that to help Jay Lethal beat up on Samoa Joe. Hopefully, maybe not. I don't know. I just can't wait to see what the whole thing is. I'm happy that Samoa Joe's in AEW. After this, we have Sean Spears going against Captain Sean Dean. MJF was on commentary for this matchup. Sean Dean would get the win by pinfall when Sean Spears had Dean on his shoulders looking to hit the Death Valley driver. But he looked up on the Titan Tron. He looked up at the screen because he heard the commotion. And on the screen, it was showing Warlow making his way through the arena, destroying security guards left and right as he makes his way towards the ring. He ends up kicking through the barricade. He walks close to the ring, but then three big old bodyguards get up on Warlow and try to escort him out like he did last week. And then you would see Sean Spears like try to hit the Death Valley driver, but uh, Sean Dean would get off of Spears' shoulder, roll up Spears for the win. So now Sh Captain Sean Dean has two wins over two guys in the pinnacle. MJF, thanks to the uh, DQ by CM Punk. And now over Sean Spears, thanks to a distraction from Wardlow. After the match, MJF would get in the ring to try to calm down Spears, but Spears is upset because Warlow is messing with him right now. And this is going to end one way. MJF finally going to call Warlow out and beat up on Warlow and have something devastating happen to Warlow because Warlow can't always be busting through these buildings and uh, just wreck havoc. Warlow's going to get popped one day. That's exactly what's going to happen. When? I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be next week. I don't know if it's going to be two weeks from now. But they are building this up to, I would say, probably double or nothing. That's what we're building this up to. After this, they will show a video of what happened earlier in the day when Kingston and Santana and Ortiz would have tagged the Jericho Appreciation Society backstage and basically sent Jericho and his cronies basically running out of the building into a car and running away from the uh, arena. Kingston and Santana and Ortiz would then walk to the ring. No music, just Kingston with a mic. And Kingston point blank said it's on site every time he sees Jericho or any members of the Jericho Appreciation Society. Santana and Ortiz would then issue a challenge for a six-man tag match next week. And it was made official that next week it will be Eddie Kingston, Santana and Ortiz going against Jericho, Danny Garcia, and Jake Hager. After this, we will have a tag team tables match. The conditions for this match was that both members of a team have to go through the tables to be eliminated. And it will be the Butcher and the Blade going against the Hardys. The Hardys would win the match with Matt Hardy being the sole survivor. Jeff got eliminated first when Butcher and the Blade hit a suplex crossbody combination through a table on Jeff. Then you see Matt eliminate the Butcher by hitting him with a diving leg drop through a table. And then finally, in the end, the Blade would end up being eliminated when he was laying on a table and Jeff went on top of a ladder, hit a swanton bomb on the Blade through the table. After the match, Andrade and Private Party and Jose would come out and have a stare down with the Hardys. Then you see Sting come out through the entrance tunnel with his black baseball bat. He ends up beating up on Private Party. He doesn't beat up on Jose because Jose looks at Sting and then Jose just jumps off the stage. And this is where this ends up. You see Andrade leave. He walks away, and then you see Sting and both the Hardys look at Andrade as he leaves. After this, we will have another qualifying matchup for the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament, but this time it's for the women. It is Julia Hart going against Hikaru Shida. Shida would win the match by pinfall when Shida would hit the Falcon Arrow for the win. During this match and beginning of the matchup, you see Julia Hart come out with the Varsity Blondes by her corner, and you see Julia Hart basically attack Hikaru Shida and just basically like choke her with her Varsity 
like blonde jacket, and then you see Pillman Jr., Brian Pillman Jr., and Griff Garrison basically tell Julia, what are you doing? This ain't you. Remember, Julia months ago got sprayed in the eye by Malachi Black with black mist. She's been wearing a black uh, eye patch for all these many months. So now this whole darkness is starting to creep up on her. And Julia tells both Griff and Brian to leave. She doesn't want them by the ring. She tells them to head to the back. So that's what happened. We got to see a more ruthless side and more angrier side of Julia Hart, but that still wasn't able to get the job done. And Sheeta wins. After the match, Serena D's music would hit, and then you see Sheeta go and grab her Kindle stick and wait for D to come down the entrance ramp. But that didn't doesn't happen because Serena would come in the ring behind uh, Sheeta, but Sheeta would feel the presence and turn around. So now we have a standoff. Serena has a steel chair in her hand. Uh, Sheeta has her Kindle stick, and now you see them have a stare down. They want to see who's going to make the first move, but in the end, Serena would leave the ring. So we're going to get a matchup between Serena and Sheeta later down the line. After this, we get a backstage interview with Sir Swerve Strickland. Swerve would mention that he was at the Grammys to support a friend that produced on the Donda album and how his friend won two Grammys. Swerve talked about how last week on Rampage, both him and Keith Lee were laid out by Powerhouse Hob and Starks, but he will handle that later. Swerve would then walk into the locker room, and then he was attacked by Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs. This will continue to happen until Keith Lee will pop into the locker room and attack Hobbs and basically send Hobbs through a wall, and that's what ended this brawl. Now it's time for the main event, the tag team championship matchup between the Young Bucks and FTR for the AAA and Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. FTR would win the match by pinfall when they hit the BTE trigger, then followed it up with the big rig for the win. This was a good tag team matchup. You know what the FTR can do. You know what the Young Bucks can do. We've already seen them wrestle one time at full gear in 2020. I believe that this match is better because FTR was able to play like the good guys in this thing. The Young Bucks work good as a bad guy tag team. Both of them work good as bad guys tag teams. But just in front of this crowd, the crowd was chanting for FTR throughout this whole matchup. And the Young Bucks were able to play off that. The Young Bucks were able to cut off FTR at moments when it looked like FTR was trying to get a tag on each uh, person. Like Dax would try to tag in Cash or Dax. Cash would try to tag in Dax. And uh, Young Bucks were just able to stop it. And I mean, the fans were just heavily invested. And you saw the Young Bucks hit the big rig on, uh, I believe it was Cash. And that doesn't end it. You see him, you see them hit. The BTE trigger, that doesn't end it. They try to go for the Meltzer driver, but Dax would get in the ring and grab Nick Jackson in the air and basically hit a slingshot powerbomb. And then you see Cash flip over and hit the tombstone on Matt Jackson, which led to the BTE trigger and then the big rig. Again, great tag team match. If you have enough time in your schedule for today or tomorrow on Sunday, go and watch AEW Dynamite just for the tag match alone. It was a great match. I highly recommend it. AEW Dynamite, great show. Now off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with a Ronda Rousey in-ring promo. They will play it back, her match with Charlotte at WrestleMania, where it showed that she tapped out Charlotte, but the referee was knocked out at that time, and they would end up showing uh, Charlotte big-booting Ronda, and then Charlotte getting the win. Ronda would mention how she had Charlotte tapping out, but she didn't walk out as champion, and that a, I didn't win. There's no time for me to complain. So then Ronda would initially make the challenge to Charlotte to an I quit match at WrestleMania Backlash. 
Charlotte would then pop up on the screen and tell Ronda that she doesn't quit and that the only thing that she keeps on doing is winning while Ronda continues to lose. Charlotte would then question the baddest woman on the planet moniker and tell Ronda that she can't win when it matters and declines the I quit match. Charlotte would then tell Ronda that she needs to get to the back of the line. Ronda would then tell Charlotte that one way or another, this match will happen. And when it does, Charlotte will be screaming when Ronda turns Charlotte's arms backwards. So Ronda's going to do everything in her power to try to get this I quit match at WrestleMania Backlash. After this, we will have the in-ring debut of Butch, better known as Pete Dunne, on SmackDown with Ridge Holland and Sheamus in his corner going against Xavier Woods, who had Kofi Kingston in his corner. Xavier will win the match by pinfall when Xavier will lock Butch into the small package, which he now calls the Backwoods, and pins him for the win. Butch was dominating this match majority of the time, and then Woods was able just to get in that small package and lock it in for the win. After the match, as Xavier and Kofi were on the stage, you see Butch in the ring. He just upset, and Sheamus and Ridge get in there trying to calm him down, but Butch attacks both Sheamus and Ridge like he's throwing a temper tantrum, and Sheamus has to grab him up and say, yo, what are you doing? And then you see Butch like get on the top rope, and he just sits there, and he just really sits there like a child in a timeout position. It's weird to me. I understand what they're trying to go here, like, with Pete Dunne, with his Butch character being, like, the uncontrollable wild card of him, like, the scrappy dude to, like, your Scooby-Doo mystery gang situation. But, again, I would just like them to change his name to Dunne. Because then I'll be like, all right, cool. But still, even then, this doesn't even work for the Pete Dunne character. So, I can understand why we would, like, separate the two from Pete Dunne to this Butch. But still, the whole presentation of Pete Dunne is this new character format. I don't necessarily agree with it. Also, they dropped the King Woods thing. They're just calling Xavier Woods, Xavier Woods, not King Woods anymore. They're keeping Selena Vega as Queen Selena, but they just dropped the whole King Woods thing before Woods could even, like, get a whole year in with the whole crown. That's disappointing to me, but okay. Um, After this, we will have Sami Zayn in the... Like, outside of the men's locker room talking to Adam Pierce. He told Pierce, how could you allow Johnny Knoxville to use all those guys and all these weapons against me at WrestleMania. Pierce had told him that was the match that you wanted, a no-holds-bar match. Sammy said, yeah, I said no-holds-barred. Anything goes, but not everybody goes. Are you kidding me? Sammy would talk about how he's feeling disrespected and that he's the laughingstock of WWE right now and that he wants to wrestle the next guy that comes out of that locker room because he wants to get his respect back. Pierce says, you want to wrestle the next guy to come out of that locker room? Sammy says, yep. So the next guy that walks out of that locker room was Drew McIntyre. Drew looks at both of the men and he says, evening. And then he walks away. You see Sammy and Adam Pierce look at each other. Pierce has a smile on his face because he knows what's about to happen. Sammy tries to back walk and say, you know what? I'll go against the next guy that comes out of that room. And Pierce tells him point blank, nope, that was out of your mouth, Sammy. You said the first guy that comes out and that's the match that's going to happen. You and Drew McIntyre will happen tonight. So after this, we would go back to the stage, well, the entrance, and Ludwig Kaiser will be out here, formerly known as NXT's Marcel Bartel of Imperium, and he's out here to introduce Gunther to the WWE Universe, and Gunther will have a match against a guy named Joe Alonzo, basically a local talent in uh, Texas. Gunther will beat him by pinfall when he power bombs him for the win. This was basically your squash match of the night. I don't understand something. 
Marcel Bartel was called Marcel Bartel on NXT legit a couple days ago. And now you change him on SmackDown to Ludwig Kaiser. I don't understand it. At least with Walter coming over from NXT UK to NXT, you changed it from Walter to Gunther, but I believe he was on Walter for like a week. And then you changed him to Gunther the next week on NXT. Cool. You didn't do that with Marcel on NXT. You changed him uh, like when it gets to the main roster. Again, I'm not liking these whole main roster uh, name changes that they got. Matter of fact, a whole lot of these name changes are garbage to me. But I let Gunther slide because, all right, cool. Gunther is still like a one word name like Walter. You can get by with that. Ludwig Kaiser, nah. Marcel Bartel should still been his name. And Butch, I always will go with the name Dunn. If you were at least going to change it, you should have changed it to Dunn. Or you just should have kept Pete Dunn as it is. But again, it is what it is. It's WWE here. After this, we go backstage. And now Raquel Gonzalez is now known as Raquel Rodriguez because she's now on the SmackDown main roster. She had an interview and then Los Lotharios would come in and try to kiss her on the cheek. But she told him, nah, nah, I'm here to win. I'm here to dominate. I'm not here to get kissed and pecked on. So Raquel Rodriguez is now on SmackDown. I at least can say Raquel Rodriguez is not bad. I just wish it was still with the Gonzalez, but it's still in the Hispanic family. So it's not atrocious as uh, the rest of the name flips. After this, you would get Happy Corbin and Matt Catmons having a happy talk segment in the ring. Corbin's out here looking sad and deflated while Moss is all happy and elated because Moss won his Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal on SmackDown while Corbin having the loss to Drew at Mania. Corbin talks about how he has been reflecting this entire week as he was on his yacht and he realized that there's only one man to blame for his loss to Drew McIntyre at Mania and he blames Madcap Moss. He blames Madcap because he got on the ring apron and he tried to make the show all about himself. Moss tried to say, hey man, I was only trying to help you. I got too into it. I'm sorry. And you could see that the fans are chanting for Moss and that's getting under Corbin's skin. And Moss is just there soaking in this like cheers. And you see him like smiling with a thumbs up in the air. Corbin would tell Moss point blank, you gotten too big for your suspenders. And that you need to remember where you come from. You're here to tell me jokes. So Corbin tells Moss to tell him a joke. Moss does it. He tells two, like, jokes. Corbin doesn't laugh at none of them. You hear Pat McAfee and Michael Cole at least laugh at him. And then Corbin tells him point blank, you need to tell me a joke like your job depends on it, because it does. Moss then will tell him, what do you call a man that treats his friends like trash and dresses like he's going to a funeral for Tommy Bahama? It's Happy Corbin. You see Moss laughing, you see the fans at least a little bit laughing, you'll hear Cor- Corbin there with a snarl on his face, you'll see Pat McAfee and Michael Cole laughing. Corbin would attack Moss from behind, start beating him up, but then Moss would turn it around and beat up on Corbin. Uh, eventually, Moss would clothesline Corbin out of the ring, so now the friendship and partnership between Madcap Moss and Corbin has dissolved, and you can tell where this rivalry is going. Madcap and Corbin are the next to go head-to-head against each other. After this, we will have Drew McIntyre going against Sami Zayn. Drew McIntyre will win the match by countout when Drew has Sami lined up for the Claymore kick. But once Drew was running to deliver the Claymore, Sami would dip out of the ring, hop over the barricade, and start walking up the uh, crowded steps as the referee counted him out. This whole match was a game of uh, cat and mouse between Drew and Sami. Sami wasn't trying to wrestle Drew McIntyre, but 
He's going to have to because next week we're running that match back on SmackDown. It will be Drew McIntyre going against Sami Zayn again. As well as Jinder Mahal will get his Intercontinental Championship matchup against Ricochet because he complained to Adam Pearce earlier in the night as well in the backstage because he wasn't on Mania. And he said that you need to stop hiding Ricochet from me. So that's that for next week. We had Sasha Banks going against Liv Morgan next. Naomi was on commentary for this match. Liv Morgan would win the match by pinfall when Sasha would hit a superplex and that Sasha would try to float over. Liv would lock in Sasha Banks' legs for a small package and uh, pin her for the win. So now Liv Morgan has some momentum going into her tag title match with Rhea Ripley against Sasha and Naomi on Raw. We all know how this is going to end. I just want to know how bad of a butt kicking Liv's going to be taking from Rhea Ripley after they lose on Raw. After this, now it's time for the main event segment on SmackDown. We had the Bloodline, Roman and the Usos with Paul Heyman out here in the ring. Roman tells the crowd that he's been talking to a special counsel and they discuss that Roman has done everything he can do. He's the undisputed WWE Universal Champion and there's nothing more that he can do, but the Bloodline has more to achieve. Roman mentions that he's one man that has two belts while he looks at his cousins and they are two men with two belts. Roman tells him that, you know what, it's time to unify the titles. So he wants the Usos to go over to Raw and win those tag titles and bring them back to SmackDown. Do that not just for Roman, but do that for themselves and do that for the whole bloodline. Do that for the family. So as he makes this decree to the Usos, you will see Shinsuke Nakamura's music hit. Shinsuke will walk down to the ring, grab a mic, and enters the ring. However, before he can even say anything, Roman will put his hand over Knox's mic. And Roman says, I know how you feel. Before you even start, I know how you feel. You miss your partner, Rick, and the crowd is all doing the Boogs chant. And then Roman allows them to do it, and he says, Boogs. I know how you feel. Matter of fact, me and Jay know how you feel because Jimmy was out for a whole year with a leg injury, so we know how you feel. Roman tells Knox, you know what? This is the island of relevancy, and right now we're full of love, man. We have all the gold. We're, right now, we are full of loves. Matter of fact, let me give you some of our island love. Come on, bring it in for a hug. Come on. So Roman goes over, hugs Nakamura. Nakamura looks at this real odd. And once Roman lets go and he walks away a couple steps, the Usos would double super kick Nakamura in the face and knock him out. And this is how SmackDown ends with Roman telling the Usos to go to SmackDown. No, not SmackDown, go to Raw. And win the Raw Tag Team titles. And the Usos said, okay, they're going over to Raw this week. So it looks like on Raw, we're getting a Raw Tag Team title match of RK-Bro going against the Usos. And if my money was to bet on it, I'm probably sure Nakamura is going to be there to uh, cost the Usos this uh, tag title match of themselves. But SmackDown went in with the Usos and Roman holding up all their championship gold. Now it's time for AEW Rampage. Before Rampage, even uh, before I even give you any of the information about the, what happened on the matches on Rampage, it was informed during Rampage that next week, uh, Rampage will be starting an hour early. On next week's Dynamite, Samoa Joe will be going against Minoru Suzuki for the Ring of Honor television title. And next Saturday will be the Battle of the Belts. So that's what was all discussed on AEW Rampage. Now getting to the matches, the first match tonight was Brian Danielson going against Trent Perretta. William Regal was on commentary for this matchup. Danielson would win the match by referee Sabich when Brian would stomp on Trent's head and then lock in the reverse cravat. And he would twist on it so much that the referee sees that Trent's in pain and has to stop the match. 
It was a good match between Brian Danielson and Trent Beretta. Trent can go as a singles competitor. Brian, we all know what he can do. And it's a great match just to showcase what Trent can do if he's allowed just to be a singles competitor. After this, we have Scorpio Sky, Ethan Page, Dan Lamberg, Sammy Guevara, and Ty Conti promo out here. Uh, we all know what it is. Sammy's out here because he wants a title match. Sammy is going to continue to make Dan and uh, Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page life hell. He isn't going to get a title match. Scorpio and Page and Dan Lamberg all says that's not going to happen. So we're going to continue to see these five constantly be at each other's throat for the next couple weeks until Sammy at least gets a match with Scorpio Sky. After this, we would get Swerve Strickland going against QT Marshall. Swerve would win the match by pinfall when Swerve would hit a Swerve Kick, which is a running kick to the back of the head for the win. After the match, Ricky Starks would get on the mic and challenge Swerve to a tag match on Dynamite next week. It would be Swerve and Keith Lee going against Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs. After this, we will have a Women's Own Heart Foundation tournament qualifying matchup. Willie Nightingale going against Red Velvet. Red Velvet would win the match by pinfall when she hits a corkscrew kick to the head of Willow for the win. These two had a good match. I haven't really seen much of Red Velvet. I mean, she's on like the show like once in a while on Rampage or Dynamite. She's more or less on YouTube, like their uh, Elevation and Dark. Uh, Elevate no, it's on Elevation and the other one, the other uh, YouTube show. She's on those two. I don't really watch them unless I see like a big main event guy on it. And I'm like, okay, or at least I see somebody like on their uh, front page. I'm like, all right, I want to see it. But usually I don't pay attention to it. But it seems to me Red Velvet is getting better in the ring. And also she's like dealing with like uh, she's digging more into the bad guy trick book because she didn't do any bad guy moves. But after the match, the fans were really cheering for Willow throughout the whole match. She would put her ears toward the rope and like really antagonize them. So it tells me that Red Velvet is going down a path of a bad uh, personality and really dealing like upping her attitude, which I personally like at a Red Velvet because Red Velvet is a nice chick. She looks like she can handle people booing her, and I would like to see more people like really play along to that. And Revel was the perfect uh person to do that. Then it's time for the main event: John Moxley going against Wheeler Yuta. Moxley would win the match by referee stoppage when Mox would hit the regal knee, then the paradigm shift. Yuta would kick out of the pinfall out of that, and then Mox would immediately go for the bulldog choke, lock it in. Yuta would try to kick out of it, but he couldn't, and he was there until he wasn't, and the referee saw that, he lifted up Yuta's arm, and then Yuta's arm went down, and that's when the referee called for the bell. This was a straight-up good match between Yuta and Moxley. This was a underdog story match for Yuta, because Yuta has went against Moxley. This is his third time doing it. He talked about how the first time, Moxley beat him within a couple minutes. The second time, he gave Moxley a fight, and this time, he really gave Moxley a fight and to the point that Moxley had to make Yuta bleed, and Yuta bled a lot in this matchup. Uh, Moxley made Yuta bleed by putting his head on the steel steps and stomping on it, and then the next image that you saw, you saw Yuta start to drip down blood off his face, so during the matchup, you saw Yuta hit a crossbody on uh, Moxley through the timekeeper table, you saw Yuta just constantly get up from everything that uh, Moxley was throwing at him, and Yuta would uh, hit the stomp kicks, the one same ones that Brian Danielson would do to his opponents, to Moxley. I mean, Yuta was applying everything in his wheel, wheelhouse to try to beat Moxley, but it just couldn't get the job done. So I would uh, please, please, if you can, go back, 
go to yesterday's episode of Rampage and watch it. That beginning matchup and the ending matchup. Matter of fact, watch Rampage. Rampage, great episode. Only an hour. Fast forward a couple of the commercials. Probably about a good 40 minutes. You're not missing nothing. No, you're not going to want to miss it. It's a great show. Anyway, after the match is whenever it gets interesting because you see Brian Danielson and William Regal come down to the ring. William Regal looks like he wants to try to get at uh, Yuta as he's on the mat on his knees looking at all three of them. And then you see Moxley kind of talk to them a little bit. And then you see Yuta stand up. And Yuta just looks at all three of them. But he looks at Regal because he's the middleman. And Regal extends his hand out. And Yuta shakes Regal's hands. So it seems to me that Yuta is now part of the Blackpool Combat Club. Again, still a long name, but we'll see how if they can try to short, shorten it down a little bit. So right now, this new group is Moxley, Brian Danielson, Regal, and Wheeler Yuta. Not a bad group. You got the young guy who's going to be the president in the future. You got two of the guys, well, one guy who's... Well, two guys who are technically the president, but you could call Brian Danson the yesterday news as well because he's been in wrestling for what? This would be his tw- well, his second decade in wrestling, like on like in mainstream as like the rest of the fans would know, not just local things. Like Ring of Honor, I say like people in AEW, they know that. So Ring of Honor's been happening since 2002. We're in 2022 for the main people that's been keeping up with Brian Danielson's career, like that, like that, I'll say he's been wrestling for two decades. He's probably been wrestling more than just two decades, probably like 23, 24, 25 years, but to main fans, two decades. Um, Good. Rampage was great. No more, none less to be said. That was your uh, Rampage highlights of the week. I do also want to give kudos to Rampage, well, not Rampage, but AEW for now, because it seems to me now they're starting to uh, put some of these storylines that are on Rampage on the main show now. Because Keith Lee and um, Swerve and Powerhouse and Ricky Stark seemed like they were only for Rampage. And I talked about it, I believe, either last week or two weeks ago, how about how they need to be on the main show. They don't always need to be on Rampage. They need to be on the main show. And it seems to me we're starting to at least get a little bit of that next week on Dynamite. I'm glad for that. So I'm glad somebody in the AEW headquarters or whoever is a wrestler that probably listened to this, whoever was a fan that was able to get into somebody's ear, heard this and threw that in. And now it's happening. I'm glad to see it because Ricky Starks is a superstar, bona fide superstar. And AEW needs to capitalize it before something, something bad happens. And what I mean by bad, I'm meaning this. And it goes and it coincides with basically the next topic here. Before I want to leave out of here, I'm talking about Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes, he had the biggest weekend of any superstar this past weekend. I believe he even had a bigger weekend than Roman Reigns, to be honest with you. Roman probably was like the second biggest thing to talk about throughout that WrestleMania weekend, besides Cody showing up on WWE and what that means for the future. Cody had an interview with Ariel Hawani, and he talked to the media press, but I believe what I'm about to tell you came from the Ariel Hawani uh, sit-down interview that he had, and he explained that, yo, I had a good run in AEW, I had my time, I had a good 
uh, time over there. I wish nothing but success to all of them. I have no bad feelings towards AEW and all that good stuff. And he kind of got into it a little bit about why he left. He talked about how he didn't always want to be the gatekeeper to be the guy that people has to go into and be your first program with in AEW to see if you can hang. He didn't want to do that. He didn't want to be like a 13-time TNT champion. He says even though the TNT title in the lineage still would have been cool, but he didn't want to do that. He just felt like there was no more that he, nothing more that he can do. And certain fans might say, well, you got Samoa Joe, you got these new crop of talent in there, you got CM Punk, you got all these guys you could have worked with. Cody just didn't want to do that. He was feeling that, yep, my time was up and I'm done. There's nothing for me to do over here at this moment. Maybe after his WWE contract's done, maybe he might go back to AEW. Maybe. But we shall see when that happens. But in the Ariel Huwani interview, he Ariel questioned him and said, since you're like the first big like name to cross over from the forbidden door from AEW to WWE, has anybody been contacting you? And have you been giving anybody some type of advice about that? Cody straight up just said, listen, I only can give anybody advice the best thing I can give them, and they can do about it what they want to do. And Ariel asked him, do you see anybody from that roster that might be the next guys coming over? Cody says, you know what? I can, I, I think I know who the people are that might be coming over. And he mentioned how AEW is kind of like punk rock, while WWE isn't punk rock. And when you look at the AEW format and the way that it's uh, listed, AEW is punk rock. Punk rock is unfiltered. They get to go out there, get wild and get crazy and all that type of stuff. That's what AEW does. You're able to get wild, crazy. You're able to just wrestle out there while WWE is a formatted situation. This is the story that we want to tell. This is how we're going to do it. Whether people cry, complain about it, this is how we're going to do it until somebody gets injured. And then after that, then we pivot. That's what it is. And for me, I see Ricky Starks leaving AEW because he is more of a WWE talent than an AEW talent to me, the way his star power and his charisma is. Because again, if AEW doesn't treat him that way, I guarantee you, since Ricky Starks is close friends with Cody, he's more or less going to go over to WWE to taste what the water is over there just to see if he likes it. MJF is another one. MJF is good in AEW, and he'll be a big megastar in WWE. The only thing that worries with me with MJF, if he does try to transition over to WWE, is will he be able to still be that prick, prick MJF that's able to really cross that line and cross that boundary the way that he's able to do it in AEW? I don't think he's able to get off a whole lot of dead punchline jokes the way that he was whenever he had that little small feud with Brian Pillman, the way he had to stomp on the mat and say, who am I kidding, and yelling at the mat instead of looking into the sky, like insinuating that Brian Pillman Sr. Uh, was in hell. See, that's what I'm saying. MGF, he can work in WWE, but I just feel like his character will be a little bit more soft. Not soft, soft, but like they will like, water it down a little bit it's not that mjf can't make it work but you wouldn't get that raw unfiltered mjf the way that you get in aew so that's my only like critique to it if mjf does go over to wwe those two really peaked out to me as guys that i see like really being the guys that like jumping over uh but again cody left it's a good thing i wish people don't hate on cody for that i know i've seen people 
complain about, oh my God, why did Cody leave? He's going to be treated like da da da. Listen, Vince is paying him big bucks. Vince is not going to uh, crap on what his investment is with Cody. Because especially you let Cody go out there the first segment of Monday Night Raw. You could have gave that to Roman, but you gave it to Cody to let Cody talk and mention what he's here for to become world champion. That tells you that they had plans for Cody to be world champion somewhere down the line. It's all up to basically Cody to keep that momentum. And it's all up to WWE as well as a company and as a brand to keep Cody being Cody. You can't try to wash. You can't try to whitewash Cody. Everybody's seen Cody with the blonde hair. And now the American Nightmare, like his whole presentation from AEW has basically been transformed over here to WWE. You can't try to whitewash that down. You got to keep it the exact same presentation, the exact same everything. And like Cody be Cody. Don't try to give him a script. He already talked about the first writer that he sees. He's going to basically just bluntly lie to their face and be like, yeah, that's cool. And he's going to go out there and do his own thing because he has to bat for himself because he can't read off a script for nobody else. He has to basically go out and if it works, it works. If it don't, he it don't work. So, again, Cody is one person that we're going to be really looking forward to in WWE in the future to see what they do with him, just make sure and see when they're going to make him world champion because I see that in the cards for Cody this run around, and I'm personally happy for it because Cody has always been in my bingo cards of guys that should have been world champion. So now him going back to WWE, I see it as a positive thing. Now, with that all being said, let me get you guys out of here and give you my, my uh, social media tags. On Twitter, you can find me at, at My2Podcast. Instagram, My2CentsPodcastG2. My email, my email is My2CentsPod at Yahoo.com. Remember, you can always email me whether you're happy, sad. Uh, if you feel that I got something wrong with the wrestling news, hey, you can email me there. If you want to just talk to somebody, I am here. My email is always available and I'm always around trust me i check my emails every single day i want to thank apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, podbeam audible and amazon music for allowing me to do what i do again i haven't got no complaints so i'm happy for uh people to be digging what i'm throwing out here and i'm just happy for that i hope you guys listen to my episode uh tomorrow well sunday tomorrow yeah is going to be uh called read the room again it's going to be an update on will smith i'm going to give you updates on the ukraine uh situation over there And I'm going to talk about a murder that happened last Sunday. But again, you guys should be tuning into that Sunday episode. I hope you guys do. If not, I'll see you guys next week on Wrestling Highlights of the Week. I do love you all. I want you guys to have a great Saturday. Please be careful out here on these roads. People are dangerous. But again, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Sis Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I and I am him. I love you all. Have a great Saturday. And Kanye, if you please, and if you can... Take these people home. I'm tired, you tired, uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.